guys. Welcome to Unfiltered with Tricky Ridge and Holly Benali. I cannot even contain myself. I'm so excited. So we just looked. It's been 20 days. 20. Our last podcast. And we thank you guys who have been listening, who made it past the first one. Um, my friend Candice. I don't think I should say her last name. Probably not. But she's been listening. I love it. And so let me tell you a fun story about Candace. All right. How would you spell Candace? C-A-N-D-I-C-E. That's right. Okay. So I remember when I met her, and I don't even know if she remembers this, but every time I hear the name Candace, I think of her because she would say it's not C-A-N-D-A-C-E. It's Candice. So like, that's how I always think of it is like a can of dice. So it's pretty fun, but she was listening and she's like, Oh my gosh, you guys have gotten so much better since your first podcast. And was she drinking? No, she was at work. She was decorating lots of Christmas cookies and like holiday cookies because they have their own bakery. Ooh. Yeah. Another story. Oh my gosh. Wait. So my favorite like pie or whatever is Boston cream pie. And her mom made, like, her mom's Boston cream pie was the very first time I'd ever had it. And a million years later, I'm, like, still hooked. Can we get some derby pie, maybe? I'm sure we could. Some derby pie. We're talking about meeting. That's the one I was talking about, us going to Chicago. Okay. Or going all the way to Wisconsin. All right. All Wis- right. Wisconsin? How do they say it? Wis- Wisconsin. 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 I love it. Oh, my gosh. Candace, I need you to Snapchat that to me. Wisconsin. I can't even say it. She said I have an accent. We all have accents. I mean, but not everybody has a country accent. Anyway, anyway, anyway. (laughs) So thank you, everybody who has listened to these past episodes and you've made it here. We're trying to make this amazing and fun. And we hope you've enjoyed the stories we've had. I think I need to change the subject, though. I think I need to change it from. (laughs) From what? From cold cases in Kentucky to just we talk about. Well, this is a this is cold a cold case. case. The one we're talking about tonight is a cold case, but we have the room at eat. We have the Florida story, but it's okay. I mean, it's crime it, related. It could potentially be crime crime related. You okay? Mm-hmm. I'm copacetic. <laughs> Every time you say that, I think of got to keep them separated. <laughs> I don't know why how that even like goes together. Wait, I mean, it kind of rhymes. Is there a song copacetic? I think there is. I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking of keep them separated. Anywho. Anyway. Oh, we were on the same page on that. <laughs> we, we finished each other's sentences. I can't say that on here. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> we're so precious. I know you want to say it so bad. It's so I do. great. I do. It's okay. It's okay. okay. All right. So Brenda's standing behind us and she's eating pineapple in my ear. Can you please go somewhere else? it's a big distraction. I'd greatly appreciate it. Whoa. Okay. So let's get back to business. So the case we're talking about tonight is Betty Gail Brown. And I have never even heard about this. I was Googling different podcasts and not podcasts. Sorry. I'm thinking about something else. I was Googling different cold cases in Kentucky. And this one popped up and actually had quite a bit of information. So I thought this, I was like, well, that'll be great because the last ones we've done haven't really had a whole lot of information. 
There's been no information on the last one we've done for the most part. Yeah. So it makes it a little challenging to talk about. And after this, we're watching the movie Manson. Like Charles Manson. It's going to be great. How weird are we that we're watching Charles Manson? We're not weird. We just like creepy weird stuff. We like true crime. We like to watch for serial killers and crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? I can't help it. It's all good. Okay. Because I'm funny? Because you're funny, yeah. Not funny looking? <gasps> <gasps> oh! All right. Let's 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 move along. Let's move along. So, this case is about 19-year-old Betty Gail Brown, and she was a student at Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky. She did not believe in the death penalty, which is... I think everybody's got different views on that. I don't either. Really? Yeah, but keep going. Okay. So, in an essay that she wrote at while she was a student at Transylvania, Transylvania University in Lexington, Brown stated, When a man commits a crime, he no longer has the right to liberty, but his right of life should never be taken away from him. I would agree with that. 110%. I never thought of it that way, and I... I agree. I think some people, I think life in prison without the possibility of parole is better. Be miserable forever. What's your thought? You (laughs) think they need to get out. Okay, I'm going to keep going. No, I don't think they need to get out. Okay. I didn't say that. You just gave me this (laughs) weird look. No, I'm sorry. Brynn kind of freaked me out standing behind me eating the pineapple. I know. It's a distraction. It's like... Weird. Anyway, Betty Gil Brown, her beliefs that criminals, even murderers, should be shown compassion and allowed to become productive members of society. And that was what she stated in her essay. But you kind of wonder, would her stance still apply in regards to the person who murdered her in the early hours of October 27, 1961? Betty Gil Brown was a well-liked sophomore at Transylvania University and Betty Gale's murder is one of the most infamous in Lexington's recent history. She was found in her car, strangled to death with her own bra. I've never heard of this case. I went to school in that area. What year was it again? 1961. Okay, all right. But it's, from what I understand, this is something that they still talk about. It's it's a big deal on their campus. Yeah, I've never heard about it. Never, never. heard about it either. So, this... You know, this case right now has been unsolved for more than 50 years, and it's still being investigated by the Lexington Police Department, which is why I think it helps show up some information. Uh, Miss Brown was a well-liked sophomore at Transylvania, and she, some would say that her death was a wake-up call to the residents that Lexington wasn't just a little town anymore. People have said that the case has become the reason that many families started to lock their doors. So, Lexington's not a small town. But I guess 1961, it could have been smaller in that time. Oh, I'm sure it was a lot different. Oh, can't stand going to Lexington. Not a fan at all. It's a very small town with way too many people. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. No? No. No, not yet. Okay. 
are so weird. <laughs> I don't know what's happening tonight, you guys. I'm just keeping these weird looks. We got Bryn standing behind us. I'm just going to keep telling you all my story. Let's keep going, babe. I'm going. So it was nearly 3 a.m. when Betty Gale's father, Hargis Brown, called the police because his daughter hadn't made it home from a biology study group that ended at midnight, which is very common in college. Lots of times you would have a study group be later in the evening and typically be done around midnight when the libraries would close. She had been at Forer, F-O-R-R-E-R, Hall since about 7.15 that night. She was studying with three other friends and students from Transylvania. All three students and the Forer Hall house mother saw Betty Gale walk to her car, a 1959 blue Simca, when she left the group. Have you ever heard of a Simca? Not in my entire life. Me either. Is that a vehicle? It is a vehicle. A 1959 blue Simca. You should see if you can pull it up and I see what it looks like. That but that's, I've never heard of that. I haven't either. And I was like, oh, sure. I'm, I bet Tricky Rich knows what this is. Nope. I've never heard of it. So, blue Simca. If you all don't know what it is, look it up. The last person to admit seeing Betty Gale Brown huh. alive was Charles Risden, who was another Transylvania student who had just dropped off a date. That's a pretty unique Hall. car. Oh, that is a unique car. So, if you don't look this up, it looks like a very... It looks like a European vehicle, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Or like a, 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 a really... Like a, a if you took a smart car and made it look like a Studebaker. It looks like a miniature Studebaker. Yeah. Okay. Neat. But I've never, never seen that car. Interesting. You all should look it up. It's kind of cool. So, again... Last person that saw her was Charles Risden. He just had dropped off his day, and his car was parked about 30 feet behind Betty Gales. He pulled up next to her and chatted with her for a moment, according to the information from the Lexington Police Department. Risden stated he pulled up, asked her how she was feeling, and he said he did this because Risden and Brown had a dancing class together, and she didn't seem to be feeling her best during class. So he just wanted to know... If Just she was doing okay. Out. Yeah, which seems simple enough. The two rolled up their respective windows and Risden drove away with Betty Gale falling close behind him until he pulled into the parking lot behind Hazel Rig Hall in Midway between 4th and 3rd Streets. Betty Gale continued down Upper Street and it was 12.05 a.m. So he saw that she was leaving, kept going. He pulled off and she was, you know... Doing her own thing. By 1.30 a.m., Betty Gale was dead. She was found in her car, which was parked in front of Morrison Chapel on the Transylvania campus at 3.05 a.m. Officer Dawn Duckworth with the Lexington Police Department was checking campus locations after an all-unit broadcast was made to officers on duty about the missing co-ed. Officer Duckworth noticed the victim seated under the driver's seat her head was back, and she appeared to be dead. So somebody reported her missing in between 12.05 a.m. Yes. And what time? 3.05 or 1.30 in the morning? Because She was dead by 1.03, and she was found at 3.05 a.m. Her dad was the one who had called after she had not returned from study. I'm, so just, I'm just trying to figure out how... We figure out she was dead at 103. Well, they do the 
autopsies and check all that stuff, they can do the time of death based on, you know, rigor mortis and all that other stuff. They can determine okay. body temperature. They can get a guesstimation of time of death. Okay. So that's, that's just what I have. So, um, she appeared to be dead and Officer Duckworth took the necessary measures to protect the scene and radioed for assistance. Duckworth told the investigators that no one had touched the car until his backup had arrived. So, nobody had been there from what they knew because he was the first person to find her. When they found Betty Gale, she was still wearing the clothes she left her parents' house in, which was a white blouse, Bermuda shorts, a sweater, and a beige raincoat. But when she was found dead, her blouse was unbuttoned, but still tucked in, and her bra was around her neck. The autopsy determined that Betty Gill Brown had died as a result of strangu strangulation with her own bra. It was determined that robbery was not a motive in the murder, and Betty Gill had not been sexually assaulted. While she was still in the driver's seat, her cars were found in the floorboard on the back seat. Her what? Her keys. So her keys were found in the back of the car on the back seat. The doors to the car were locked except the front passenger door, which had a malfunctioning lock. Police were unable to find any witnesses to this crime, probably because of the time of night that it was. In a summary report complete in the, vest in the case when it was re-examined in 1988, a section titled Case Problems detailed issues that complicated investigation of Betty Gill's murder. Practically every detail of the crime scene, autopsy, evidence collected, and witness statements were released to the media fueling theories and speculations. The morning newspaper on October 28, 1961, ran a gruesome photo of Betty Gill's body still in her car on the front page. Wow. Like, why would you do that? That's pretty crazy. I get the idea of wanting to. Are you trying to find it? Mm -hmm. I couldn't find it. If you can, that's, that's going to be What's her name again? Betty Gale? Betty Gale Brown. Is it G-A-Y-L-E? Yes. G no, G-A-I-L. Sorry. Um, like that? Yes. Look up newspaper. Because I do have pictures that I'm going to post so that <clears> if anybody wants to see what she looks like. She's very cute. Cute, you know, young lady. So... It's just very, very, very sad. They did determine that robbery, robbery was not a motive in the case, in the murder. Gail had not been sexually assault, assaulted. While she was still in the driver's seat in the car, the keys in the floorboard, they weren't able to find anything. And practically every detail of the crime scene, autopsy, evidence collected, and witness statements were released. So this just gave a whole big thing to the media. They were just having a frenzy with all this information. So that's pretty sad. That's crazy. Male students and faculty members from Transylvania University were fingerprinted and given polygraph tests in a group, but none were ultimately considered suspects in the case. So we move forward to January of 1965. And this kind of tells about how, how far forensic and all this stuff has come to just the, the information that they can use now. 1965 in January, a man named Alex Arnold admitted to killing Betty Gale. So on January 20th, 1965, 
Klamath Falls, Oregon Police Department had arrested Arnold for public intoxication. A Lexington Police Department report said Arnold told an official in the city that he had murdered Brown. Arnold provided police officer, officers from Lexington a handwritten statement spelling out the details from the night he allegedly killed Betty Gale. And he was arrested for the murder. Wow. So, I don't know how intoxicated you have to be to say that you committed this murder. And he's in Oregon. Like, way on the other side. So, they can <clears throat> they can't put him here in Kentucky at the time, then. Well, they arrested him. Like, what do you mean, put him here? Well, I mean, basically, he all he said is, I did it, <clears throat> but that's it. Right. There's nothing that puts him here in Kentucky to so, confirm that? So, on the morning that they went to go talk to him in Klamath Falls, Oregon, it's a small town about 20 miles north of the California border, he sat down with investigators from Lexington. So they drove there to go talk to him. Okay. They traveled more than 2,300 miles because Arnold had asked them to. So to me, I'm like, but I guess if you don't have any leads, you're going to travel and go try and get what information you can. When Arnold sat down with the investigators from Lexington, um, he told them that he was the one who had strangled the Transylvania University. I'm going to start saying transy. That's what they call it. And I'm getting tongue tied. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Transy. So strangled. Transylvania is now going to be transy. Co-ed in the early hours of October 27th, 1961. They sat down with Arnold in the jail. They read him his rights and asked him one more time. Are you willing to make a statement and tell us all that you know about the Betty Gale Brown case? Arnold responded, sure, that's why I had you all come all the way out here. So, here is Arnold's story of what happened the night of October 26, 1961 in Lexington. In his drunken stupor, he was looking for a place to sleep. He first tried Gratz Park, but a couple was sitting in the park and it made him change his mind. So, he crossed over to 3rd Street, walked onto the Transy University campus, and found a place to lie down and go to sleep. Now, this is according to his statement to the police. After about an hour, he woke up from the cold and finished a bottle of wine he had with him before walking towards Short Street. Remember, that was the street Betty Gale was driving down. That's when he told investigators he saw Betty Gale's parked in front of Morrison Chapel. Arnold told investigators he saw Betty Gale and another woman engaged sexually in the car. Something... The woman's parents said was impossible. Like, they were like, no way. But this was a time, too, homosexuality was not. They were hiding it. But well, in, I mean, they that in, in 61, that they were hiding it. But she was in front of a chapel. Like, <laughs> in front of a chapel of school. I don't know if I would. I mean. I don't know. You just never know. You don't know, but I don't think they were that brave then. You think? People are pretty brave. Now, but not then. <laughs> anyway. So, um, upon passing the car in, in a driveway off the campus, he said he saw what looked like two women making love. And he said they were hugging and kissing each other. He decided he was going to ask for a match as he walked by. That, that's exactly what I would do. I, can, nah. I, can I get a light? <laughs> he said they began to cuss him. 
He said, pardon me, and started on Short Street and Broadway. First of all, you're drunk. You were sleeping in a in the grass. You supposedly walk on these two women making love. How are you going to ask them for a match? Like, does that make sense to you? Like, how are you going to ask for a match if they're... I mean, I, I would probably say something stupid like that. <laughs> okay. So, um, they begin to cuss him. He walked away. And he then he, as they were... He was walking away. They were still cussing him out. So he decided to do something about it. Being drunk and on the spur of the moment, I got mad and turned back to the car. Jerk, jerking the driver's side door open, he grabbed the girl on the driver's side as she was leaning away from him. The other woman jumped out of the car and fled the scene. Arnold said, and he knocked Betty Gale's head on the dashboard of the car, which either knocked her out or she fainted. Yeah, so he hit her pretty hard. He jerked, <clears throat> excuse me, jerking her head back against the seat by, the, by her hair and shoulder, he realized that she was out of it. So he panicked. He got into the back seat of the car and picked up Betty Gale's bra, which he said was sitting in the front seat. He hung it around her neck and strangled her by putting his hands on each side of the bra and putting his knee against the back of the seat for leverage. He held it there for about a minute and a half. Nope. That, that's what I was going to say. Because nope. it takes longer than that to strangle someone. Like upwards of seven minutes. Yeah. That's. I'm a fake dead. Don't. Like somebody tries <laughs> to strangle me. Like unless they know that. I'm a fake dead. Hold your breath. I hold my breath. What if my heart's still beating though? If they listen. They stick their head on my chest. Listen if my heart's beating. If that's the case. I don't know. Grab their ear. Rip it off. Fish hook them. Oh yeah. The fish hook. Mm -hmm. punch him in the throat something stab him yeah okay that's what I'm going to do so if anybody is strangling you play dead probably fight but then play dead <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going to get to that point we, we got pistols yeah my bag's got pistols <laughs> mm, good thing your roommate's gone we don't need those pistols <laughs> alright so back to the story he said the only thing that she did was quiver a little bit. Putting the bra back in the Did you front. say quiver? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Body shake. <laughs> it makes me, oh. It's, it just, it's <laughs> like your word. Like when I hear that word, it doesn't gross me out like your word grosses you out. But really? When I hear that word, it's like, God, don't say that word. Oh. Okay. I, I can see that. <laughs> you you want to tell him what your word is? Nope. I said my no. word. You can say you your word. You didn't say your word. I said quiver. But, uh, I said it. But I don't want to. I don't want to say the word. <laughs> you see it all over Facebook that people post, and it says if you see this word, at least one person is. It starts with an M. <laughs> it's so gross. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Gosh. Okay. So he put the bra in the back of the front seat. I'm like, I gotta get myself together. This was a detail that did not match the initial police report that said Betty Gale Brown was found with a bra still around her neck. Arnold said he noticed the woman's blouse was tucked in, but unbuttoned all the way. So he climbed into the front seat to button it up. He did what? Ex yes. He said that he noticed her shirt was all the way unbuttoned, so he climbed in the front to button her shirt up a little bit. After he had... M murdered her. Took a minute her. to 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So he strangled her in the knee, but never a shirt. No, he didn't. He thought <laughs> that if she was found that way with her blouse and button, they would have think they would have thought that he tried to rape her, thinking for sure that he would be caught. But if you didn't rape her, how is that for sure going to get you caught? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I think he's a little intoxicated. He wiped his fingerprints off the dashboard, locked three of the car's doors, and left. Arnold told investigators that he went to the apartment of a woman named May Hedges. We had a drink of whiskey, he said. I told her I just killed a woman. According to a statement from Hedges in court files from Arnold's murder trial, she said that he did not come to her apartment that night. You best believe, well, if it's you, I would say you were with me all the time. What? Like, if you... Did something bad? You like, you would be my alibi? Yeah. I love you. I know, but damn. That's real love. I guess. They do it on <laughs> Investigate Discovery all the time. Yeah, but. Don't not, do that, though. What? Don't go kill somebody. Well, I'm not planning on it, but. I mean, if I do, you better tell. <laughs> really? You want me to tell on you? I'm telling you. Oh, so the moral of this story I is... I can't say I'm just kidding I right love here. Tricky Rich more than he loves me. Oh, my God. <laughs> if something happens someday and we're in a murder investigation, they come back to this podcast, they're going to be like, all right, Holly's the one. <laughs> Don't ask Holly's her. the one. It was not rich. Listen to, listen to me. I'm like, yeah, tell on you, shoot. But then you would know. Well, no, I just wouldn't tell you. All right, don't tell me. I'm not. What's that? <laughs> You don't have to tell me nothing. Oh, my goodness. All right. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> Arnold's murder trial started on February 5th, 1965 in Lexington. He was defended by attorney Amos Eblen. And Arnold. Amos. Amos? Amos? <laughs> Sorry, Amos? Keep going. Amos. What's that offer? I don't even know. Amos and Andy. <gasps> Chicago. The movie Chicago. I love that movie. Never Musical. watched it. Oh, it's you. You, you wouldn't like it, but I love it. Okay. <laughs> I can't say. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so, let me go back. Arnold recanted his admission during trial. That, Took it I back. read about that. Yeah. You were reading. You were, you were trying to get caught up, and I love it. During the trial, Lexington Police Detective Captain Gilbert Cravens testified that he issued a warrant for Arnold's arrest on the murder charge. When asked what led to the issuance of the, the warrant, Cravens told the court that Arnold had confessed to the crime and he mentioned certain things that no one would have known except that was there. So there was evidence. The only thing that would have been known was what was there. So how did he know the evidence? Well, maybe he misspoke when he said it only took a minute and a half. Well, I mean, unless he just like, but he may not have known, you know, what was going on. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, it was so cold. So it was the morning. It was so cold that frost had formed on Betty Gale's car, a detail that would corroborate Arnold's assertion that the cold had woken him up from falling asleep in shrubbery. So, you know, remember he went walking and then he went and he fell asleep because it was so cold. So on that night it was cold. So that could have gone along with it. Another witness, Officer Don Duckworth, the officer who found Betty Gale, Betty Gale dead in her vehicle the night of her death, testified that when he found the woman, the first thing he did was call for backup. 
He said, also said he observed a wound on Betty Gale's forehead and blood on the dashboard, which matched Arnold's story in his confession yep. about knocking the woman out. In contrast to Arnold's assertion that he put the bra on the front seat, Duckworth testified that Betty Gale's bra was still wrapped around her neck and a piece of it had been torn off and was in her lap. He also testified that while Betty Gale's blouse was partially buttoned, the top two buttons were still unopened. And he that's, that's a lot of corroborative. How do you say that word? Corroborative? Yeah, corroborative. Corrobora corroboration? Corroboration. Corroborative. It is. Evidence. So. That is, you know, a lot of information. Fayette County Coroner Chester Hager also testified in the case, saying that he arrived at the scene of the murder at 3.40. Betty Gale was, was deceased when he arrived. He testified that the bra was still around Betty Gale's neck when he initially examined her body, along with strangulation marks around her neck. Hager testified that it appeared Betty Gale's head had been knocked against the dash dashboard so forcefully that a letter from a Simca decal on it was imprinted on her forehead. Dang. He hit her hard. Like, that he sounds, really knocked her out. It sounds like the time my bully back in high school hit me with his class ring. Left an imprint on my forehead. You told me about that. Mm -hmm. And then you saw him in Walmart. He was no, I punched school. him back, like, like weeks later. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I punched him in his nose. Yeah, but remember, and then he left me. Yeah, he left me alone. And then years later, I see him in Walmart, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm sorry for being a dick." He didn't say it like that, but I'm sorry for being not nice when I was in school. Mm -hmm. That's good. It saved you from pulling a Billy Madison. That's right. Billy I marked Madison. him off my list, and then sat down and put red lipstick <laughs> on. <laughs> if you've not watched Billy Madison, please go do it because it's fantastic. And don't be that person. Don't be in school thinking, ooh, I'm all cool. And then you grow up and you get not cute anymore. Not cute. All right. That's, <laughs> all right. <laughs> we went to a birthday party and saw somebody that we both knew from high school. And it was shocking, to say the least. Oh. You remember? Okay, yeah, keep going. <laughs> Betty Gale's scalp was torn from where someone had jerked her head back by her hair. There was no skin particles under Betty Gale's fingernails, and other than a broken fingernail on one hand, there was no defensive wounds on her. Lieutenant Carter, again with the Lexington Police Department, testified that he was one of the investigators who visited Arnold's, Arnold in the Klamath Falls Jail. The first interview on January 20th took about an hour and a half, and Carter said Arnold was visibly upset. He was noticeably trimming. He seemed to be he seemed to be easy to perspire and was very nervous. But if he had been in jail and he was, you know, drinking a lot, that could have been an explanation for that. Right. right like right. drink a lot and you don't do it. Then you got shakes and you sweating. So they didn't take a written statement from Arnold at that time. The next morning detectives met with Arnold again. This time it was about two hours and Arnold was visibly calmer. They asked him at the time if he had felt any better after disclosing his part in, in the, the murder. And he said he felt like a 500-pound weight had been lifted off both his shoulders. Again, officers did not take Arnold's written confession until the next day, at which the man was calmer than the day before. So he was, you know, third day. Carter told the court that Arnold was read his rights before each meeting in the Klamath Falls Jail. 
He advised that this thing had been bearing on his mind all these years and that he wanted to get it all outside of, get it out of inside of him. I mean, if you murdered somebody, I would probably want to get it out. I wouldn't tell you (laughs) because I'm not going to jail. (laughs) I'm not that slick. I can't do it. But anyway, so I would imagine that I would want to tell somebody. Maybe it'd be my dog. When Captain Brian Henry, Henry, who was in charge of the fingerprints in the Betty Gale Brown case, he was brought to the stand. He told the court that only three sets of identifiable fingerprints were found in the car. Those belonged to Betty Gale's mother, father, and a mechanic who had recently worked on the car. Other than Arnold's written statement, investigators were unable to find any evidence that tied him to Betty Gale's murder. The jury in the case deliberated for six hours and 45 minutes before announcing they were hung on a 7-5 vote and Arnold was released. Wow. The indictment remained officially open until February 2nd, 1973. During that time, Arnold could have been retried on the case. And in a February 3rd, 1966 letter from the Commonwealth attorney David P. Maloney, um, <laughs> to LP, Lexington Police Department Chief E.C. Hale, the former explanation, his trepidation, about retrying the case. So they were reluctant because there was not any additional information. They didn't want to cause any additional expense to the taxpayers. And the consumption of valuable time of the court, the jury, the witnesses, and the department for a second trial was just, it wasn't worth it. There was not enough evidence. It was insufficient. So a response to Maloney's letter from Hale was not included in the court files. In a January 19. January 19th, 1973 letter, Commonwealth Attorney Patrick H. Malloy, these people in these names, also asked if any new evidence was available in the case. James L. Schaefer, then chief of the Lexington Police Department, wrote back that there was nothing new. They considered the task of contacting the list of witnesses used in the 1965 trial and sincerely believed their recall to be impossible. Upon reviewing the case file, they are convinced that all pertinent leads and fragments of information have been carefully investigated without additional results. Because so much time has passed since the original trial, trial, it was Schaefer's opinion that it would be virtually impossible to reconstruct the case for presentation to a jury. Malloy filed a motion to dismiss the indictment against Arnold on February 5, 1973. Arnold, who lived in Lexington since the trial, died on June 8th, 1980, and he was 49. How old did he look? That was a different guy. Where the hell did that guy come from? So, that guy... Was that the one that you... The other one? No. Yeah. So, there is a guy who was a serial killer who's been linked to three... I believe it's Kentucky, Indiana, and and Ohio. Mm -hmm. And he was a serial killer. He's been linked in different murders. He... Murdered typical the same way as Betty Go Brown was. He right. would use strangulation with their own clothing or own personal items. He wouldn't rob them. And there were very few that had sexual assault. But when they've gone back to look at the information, it was not possible for him to be in Lexington at that time. Okay. Now, it does come down to a, a print found in the 50-year-old case file. One that just fell out of the file folder one day. Nice. They think it's part of a palm print, which was sent to, the, they sent the print to the FBI in 2006. 
There are suspects convicted of murder with similar details that investigators are now looking into, which could be that the serial killer. It says there are two serial killers that passed through in and around Lexington in that time period. One of the other cold cases that we're going to talk about, a friend of mine had told me. Oh, my gosh. So, Trigger Rich has a beard. And he just, like, ran his fingers through it. And, like, all the way up. And it looks like a really bad haircut. <laughs> it's hot. It's so hot. Oh, oh, my. Okay, so... Uh, one of the other cold cases that I'm going to talk about, a friend of mine told me they have, I'm not sure if they've exhumed the body, but she's doing some research on it. And they do believe that this serial killer could be related to one of these cold cases that we're going to be talking about. The handprint is the only lead that they have to this day, and it may, may very well be a dead end. But it's one thing that they can do to get it out. Some of the most useful evidence was destroyed including the bra that Betty Gale was strangled with. How? Um, How is that even possible? I guess back then, maybe they didn't keep stuff that long. But it was the no. key piece of evidence that if it was they, still they, around, it would provide DNA. I watch forensic files. Like, forensic files is all about, like, stuff that happened in the 80s. Like, yeah. that stuff was recorded in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I don't know. And then they're finding out all this stuff or, or evidence. Stuff don't get destroyed like that. That's Maybe carelessness. That's ca oh, okay. I didn't say Katrina. that. Katrina. <laughs> Katrina and Lexington. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Lord, forgive me. Why? Keep going. <laughs> so, they've looked for more DNA. There's not any. Investigators from the time of Betty Gale's death were convinced that Alex Arnold Jr. was the killer even though his trial resu resulted in a hung jury. Former Fayette Circuit Judge George Baker, who was then Assistant Commonwealth Attorney, told investigators that he believed Arnold was responsible for the death, even though some of the details he gave poli police didn't match the crime scene. But if he was intoxicated too, he found the bra in the front seat. So maybe that's what he thought. Maybe he thought he strangled her and put the bra back in the front seat. So right. I think those things could have been easily mistaken. They recalled that the prosecution contended that Arnold had fabricated portions of his confession to justify and rationalize his actions. The case, one of the most notorious in Lexington history, has not been idle over the years. It looked like from the case file, at least a couple detectives from each decade have picked it up. So I guess when detectives go in, we were watching Investigate Discovery and there was a detective that went in and picked up a case. They ended up solving it. Yes. So I think that's good. So that's if totally you're good. detectives and you're out there looking at these cold cases, pick them up, contact us. We'd love to give some information out and try and help get it solved. At least get you all some, you know, more information, but a four volume case file comprised of hundreds of documents show that investigators did everything they could to solve the case. And, at one point, they even brought in a psychic, which <laughs> that was, you know, they did that back then. Yeah, they still do that. Really? Yeah. Did you not say that you want to have your palm read or something silly like yeah, that? Yeah, but not, that's different. That's what do you mean cool. that's different? Whatever. It's not solving a murder. It's not solving a murder, but what what what's this going to tell you? I can tell you what it's going to tell me. What? 
I can't say it on the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> Peter Herkos of Waukesha, Wisconsin, told detectives, detectives on June 11th, 1962, that the reason the killing happened was because there, were dis- there was a discussion about making love and then a fight started. After, after the victim couldn't breathe anymore, the murderer was scared and ran off. After everything was said and done, though, the case never found a conclusion. There was something that caused Lexington residents considerable concern. This was what commanded the attention of the town, like the O.J. Simpson trial, because it just consumed the town for so long. It captured the attention of Lexington, and it bothered a lot of people. They really wanted it solved. And still, to this day, it's not any different. They want to solve this case. Results on the partial handprint are still pending. And police are asking anyone with information on Betty Betty Gail Brown's murder to contact them. If there's new information, they want to check it out. And the person who killed Betty Gail could have been anyone. They got in her car. They strangled her. It could have been done by a stranger. It could have been done, done by somebody who knew her. It's just endless, but anybody with information can contact Curlis or Wilson at 859-258-3700. So if you've heard anything over the years about Betty Gail Brown, your grandpa, your grandma talks about this young lady that they ran into and I don't know, hopefully they didn't murder them, but call the police. Paul Curlis or Wilson. Did you say his name was Curlis? Yeah. It's not Curtis. No, Curlis. C-U-R-L-E-S-S. That's what we're naming our next child, just so you know. Oh, geez. Y'all just heard that. (laughs) Curlis. Curlis Sheehan. Curlis. Go over here, Curlis. You can't can't see that? Curlis William. Okay. Richard, Richard Curlis. Richard Curlis Sheehan. I, I can I can see I it. can see that Curlis all right bringing Curlis back 2026 2026 <laughs> <laughs> we'll both be too old by then exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh geez uh, that was an interesting podcast babe it was and we hope you guys liked it we hope it's a lot longer than usual so I like getting ones that we have more information on I hope y'all listen to it yeah all of it go to facebook go like us you can listen to us on apple podcast it's unfiltered podcast trhb why it's so complicated i'm not sure probably because it's apple trhb tricky rich holly benali holly benali yeah you can google it if you go to google and you type in holly benali and tricky rich does it come out that way we come up awesome That's great. So go find our Facebook. Send us some messages. Leave us five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Like we just cooked the best breakfast in the world. Yeah. Five stars. And you want to come eat with us again. Mm-hmm. Nom, nom, nom. Mm. Next time I'm having wine. <laughs> For sure. She's drinking S. Pellegrino. Thank you. Ascenza. It's a water. It smells amazing. It's really Tastes good. Tastes like shit. It's tangerine and strawberry. So... All right, guys. We hope you had fun. I sure had a blast. Babe, did you have fun? I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. So we're going to go watch the movie Manson. And maybe we'll talk about that later if I don't fall asleep like a grandma. Maybe. 
Maybe. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.